This is Lease FM, and I'm very, very excited about my guest today, uh, the one and only Tim Baltz. He started his comedic career here in Chicago at the Second City and I.O., and so the city played a huge role in his comedy series, Shrink. Uh, that show follows the life of a medical student named David Tracy who didn't get into any of his residency programs and thusly decides to become a clinical therapist. To do so, he must perform 1,920 hours of supervised therapy, and he begins seeing patients for free in his parents' garage. So great premise for a show. Uh, you can watch the series for the time being on the CISO Network, NBC's comedy streaming platform, which will unfortunately be shutting down later this year, hence the hashtag Save Shrink campaign that Tim and I open up talking about. Also, uh, during the interview, Tim alluded to an upcoming project that he couldn't talk about, which a couple days later was revealed to be a daily show spinoff called The Opposition with Jordan Klepper uh, that starts at the end of September on Comedy Central. Tim will be a correspondent on the show, and I'm sure like everything he does, it will be hilarious and intelligent. All right. Without further ado, here's the show. Hey, welcome to Lease FM. This week I'm joined by Tim Baltz, comedian, actor, writer, uh, Second City alumni, Chicago Cubs fan, right, Tim? Oh, yeah, big time. Okay, good. <laughs> um, and general good guy, uh, because he agreed to come on my podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks so much for yeah. being here. Um, how is hashtag Save Shrink going? <laughs> I, I mean, I think that it's, uh, it's doing about as best as it can. Um, unfortunately, you know, CISO, we're in CISO's last days. CISO is NBC's streaming platform that was kind of all comedy, uh, and had some wonderful original content as well as like acquired content that they'd gone out and gotten, including a bunch of NBC shows and great British shows that had kind of never been, um, available in the U S and, uh, we were lucky that shrink took a very circuitous route to get there after winning Best Comedy and Critics Award at New York Television Festival in 2012. We sold it to Pivot in 2013, stalled in development there for over two years, and then eventually sold it to CISO and actually got to make a season. Um, so, you know, it's we're both happy that we got to make it. And then, you know, a little bummed that we felt like I think everyone at CISO also felt like we were uh, days away from getting an order for season two. And then, boom, um, we hear the news and everything gets stalled. So yeah, uh, it's it's great. What it is great about the Save Shrink campaign is that all the people that had watched it and loved it that hadn't reached out yet, plus all the people that had reached out, um, are coming at us and, and telling us how much they loved it. Uh, so it's it's nice to see. It's a little bittersweet because... Um, people really love it. I was in New York last week. Uh, I went to see a show at UCB in Chelsea and, uh, like three people, I was just in the audience with a friend and three people came up to me and they you know, one girl outside was like, save shrink. I'm like, oh, oh wow. really sweet. You know, I, I think it felt, uh, and I, and I hope that other people felt that too. And I've heard this from a lot of people, but it felt like a rare comedy that was, um, no less funny for its melancholic moments for, uh, its frustration and, and the fact that its protagonist was, um, you know, kind of actively trying to be a professional rather than, uh, you know, a, a screw up or, right. I mean, he still screws up a lot, but, um, 
you know, it, it was that tackling... ex-girlfriend apartment episode. I just, just that flashed into my mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is so that good. episode three? The one of yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's my actual girlfriend. Really? <laughs> yeah, I I wrote that for her. Um, not that she does that, uh, thank goodness, but. Uh, <laughs> She plays a lot of characters like that, and when I was writing it, I was like, oh, this would be so fun. Her name's Lily Sullivan. She's, uh, she grew up in Chicago and then um, lived in Colorado for a little while, went to school, came back to Chicago, and was understudying at Second City before she moved to uh, L.A. Oh, wow. So did you guys meet at Second City? Uh, no, we kind of barely knew each other in Chicago. I was a little older, so I left before she was uh, performing a ton. But I saw her perform a couple times and was always really impressed. And then I met her out here in L.A. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we hit it off. She's hilarious. That's great. Um, Got to look her up. Um, yeah. So, okay, so let's rewind a little bit back to uh, growing up in Joliet. That's where you're from, right? Yeah. Um, my dad's from Joliet. I was down close to there visiting my grandma yesterday, so... I know no all about um, Wow. And actually, my grandma was a home ec teacher at Juliet Central, which, uh, yeah, I think you went there, right? Yeah, and both my uh, parents worked there. My dad just, they just retired, like, after, what, the 2016 school year, I think? Wow. Oh, that's awesome. Congrats to them. I'll have to ask yeah. Grandma Millie what if was she your knows gra- them. Um, what was your grandma's name? Millie Graham. Uh, and she, ta- I mean, you know, she was like, she probably taught there through the 80s. Um, oh, but, okay. Like, okay. so probably before their time. But they, if they went there, they might have had her. <laughs> yeah. They, um, didn't, they didn't go there, but I, went, uh, I wonder if I know anyone that did. I mean, you've seen that school, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. It's it like is. a castle. It's it built is. in 1904. It's, I mean, it's an architectural masterpiece. Totally. I love that school. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Very, I always called it an anti-breakfast club school. For sure. <laughs> Explain that. <laughs> uh, there's no, like... The cool part about it was that, you know, it's, it's a very, like, it's on the east side of Joliet. It's very diverse. Um, and there are no, it, at least when I was there, there didn't feel like there were, like, one big, like, cool click. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? There were a bunch, but because there were a bunch, you couldn't really think you were cool. And that had a very equalizing factor to it, you know? Um, it felt, I, I love Joliet because it feels very, uh, it feels very kind of, naturally american diverse uh there's like you know a harmony that you kind of have to work for in a town like joliet totally um and i always felt incredibly proud the work ethic in that town is immense um and uh yeah i just i I, joliet central was a unique place i was scared going into it i mean the building's huge there were like 2,500 people at the time when i went there now it's even more totally uh it looked it looks like a castle. Most people from out of town think it's Stateville. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, depending on the day. <laughs> yeah. It can uh, be intimidating. Right. Anyway. Um, so, okay, so let's talk about high school or even before that. What, um, when did you really get into comedy uh, or acting or what was like your, your formative, you know, experience with that or first really comedian you looked up to? Yeah, great question. Um, I'll, I can kind of uh, answer that and then go into the first of the five big influences. Awesome. Um, but my father was a professional actor in the in the 60s and 70s, um, mostly stage work. So, and he has a master's in theatrical history. So, I, you know, was very much like, you know, aware of theater and a fan of theater. And we would see it 
either in Chicago or in Joliet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and he introduced me to a lot of things. He introduced me to um, Monty Python and Faulty Towers, which was a so really good. <laughs> I probably yeah I'd probably put Faulty Towers and Monty Python as number two. Okay, cool. List of big influences. Um, and I was really shy as a kid. Uh, my mom is French, and I grew up half French in Joliet. There aren't like a ton of half French people running around Joliet. Yeah. <laughs> Joliet. Uh, <laughs> no, which oddly enough, Louis Joliet is a French explorer. Yes. Uh, oh, hey, there you go. So yeah, he's influence number one then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's hilarious, Louis Joliet. Uh, and the mall is named after him. So oh you know, yes. Oh my! I go to that mall all the time with my grandma. Actually, we found a really nice pantsuit for her there. Really? Yeah, a seafoam green. Where? Uh, JC Penney's. Right. JC God, I was just going to say that. In the petite section. Um, and it was kind of, I took this really cute picture of her, um, posted on Instagram. <laughs> and then I, I was looking at it and I noticed, <laughs> like, in the little, like, right behind her in this little bin, like a, you know, those, like, racks that they have to hang up things. And there's, like, a wire bin below it. There's, like, a used diaper wrapped up. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. <laughs> I hope no one notices that. It was, like, a door of the Explorer diaper or something. But That's the Louis Joliet Mall. Oh, that yeah. story is the Louis Joliet Mall. <laughs> exactly. Did you ever work there? I know people no, who worked I never... at Panera. Oh, right, right, right. I, I went to there. I remember when that Panera opened, it was like a, a big thing to do in town. Oh, like, for sure, oh, those God. bread bowls. <laughs> yeah, and now we can go hang out there and not just Barnes & Noble right. or, you know. Movie or theater. Baker Square. Yeah. Oh, my God. Baker Square was so big for my theater. I went to Lyons Township, so in the western suburbs. Um, oh, right, right, right. And, uh, oh, God, after every performance, we went to Baker Square. And just everyone happened to have a, a birthday, you know, when we pretended. Of and course. so then you have to get free pie. Um, oh, I knew all the waitresses at Baker Square. Did you? Did I they know your order? Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'd always get, like, you know, apple pie. Oh, cup of coffee yeah, or ice, apple pie ice cream usually a coke okay. i wasn't a coffee drinker i was i'm drinking coffee now but I, it took me until about age 30 to drink coffee really huh yeah yeah why Were, did you go to tea first and then coffee or was it kind of like a oh shit i'm 30 i gotta start. <laughs> <laughs> uh starting i mean i was well maybe i was like 28 or 29 it was when i started doing second city stage shows on the etc um oh, yeah I'd, I'd, I'd get like a little desperate for energy, you know, because you'd take three months to write those shows and you're like, after five weeks, you run out of ideas and then you got like seven or eight weeks left of writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's when I started coffee, probably five weeks into the first um, stage show that I was writing there. Uh, wow. But before that, I, I just never, I never really did it. Uh, I have a heart murmur. And so um, it always seemed like a bad idea. Yeah, Probably, probably still is. Probably still is. <laughs> Take a sip of coffee. Um, cool. Okay, so back to back to Louis Juliet Mall. Um, and oh, right. And yeah, your first the, influence. the influences. So I loved theater, and my sister's three years older than me, and she she did a lot, and she was a great singer. So she was in all the musicals at uh, at our high school, and um, did some other ones, probably in community theater. And uh, I was just really shy about it. She had done this thing called contest play, which was like one act play. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was competitive among the high schools in Illinois. Some other states have it. They call it different things. Uh, and she was in it. And I, I just remember thinking, like, this is it's theater and it's competitive. And I played sports year-round. So that was really appealing to me. So I wanted to do that. Um, but comedically, 
So that was kind of my intro into actual theater and then me finally getting over the kind of shyness and, and doing it. And I had a great time. What was your first like, play that you were in? I was in I'm Not Rappaport, um, which was the, we converted it into a one act um, play. I forget who wrote I'm Not Rappaport. Uh, but it's been done a lot. Yeah. Most of the story of two older friends meeting in the park. Um, Classic high school theater, one act. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Minimal set <laughs> two, pieces. Two 16-year-olds two dressed up like 70-year-olds. Uh, and it's I like played the Oh like Hello some, Show. <laughs> yeah. I played like some grifter who's like ripping them off or something like that. Uh, and I had a great time. I learned a ton. It was probably pretty bad, but I liked it. And then eventually someone, one of my friends convinced me to do speech team my senior year. And I wish I had done it the whole time. Mm-hmm. But I was pl- playing sports and I was like, nah, I can't get into that. Like speech team, this seems like you get it. You get to get up at like 5 a.m. on a Saturday. No, thanks. Yeah. Um, but I, I did it and I had a great time. And uh, but comedically, I'd say my first big influence, you know, everyone would quote Saturday Night Live on Monday morning. Mm-hmm. school and everyone would be like did you see it did you see it and my parents wouldn't let me stay up so in the early 90s i would start sneaking downstairs and i turn the tv on the lowest volume setting and i get my face as close to it as possible so i could hear it <laughs> so and i would, was on I would watch point. it yeah and then my parents would you know like someone would like hear something or come downstairs or something i'd turn it off and i'd hide <gasps> and then they'd go back upstairs and i'd turn it back on oh you bad yeah, I'd end up seeing like three or four sketches and then come to school and I'd be able to like participate a little bit in talking about it. But it was a big deal. So Chris Farley and Tim Meadows were huge in those early casts in the early 90s. Those were like probably those are some of the biggest uh, comedy influences early on. And then I knew that they had all gone. I eventually found out that they had all gone through Second City and IO and Problematic at the mm-hmm. time. And that, you know, made me think, oh, wow, well. They went to Chicago. You know, I went to Chicago a couple times a year for field trips. Um, so it, it it started to open in my mind this possibility of, of doing that. But it was very, I didn't really admit that I was doing it for a living or even trying to do it until I got hired for the touring company when I was 25. And then, then it was, that was 2006. And then I was like, well, okay, maybe, maybe I can do this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but I, I was, you know, you come from a town like Joliet, and uh, it's there's such a hard work ethic and there's such a pride in that work ethic that um, it almost felt like it, it almost felt like something I couldn't admit to myself. You know, I had to go into something else, right. uh, and I didn't really put two and two together that I can use that work ethic and apply it to um, comedy. It took it took a little while. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, so Chris Farley, what was what was your favorite like sketch? I mean, there's so uh, many good ones, obviously. Van, I liked, I liked everyone liked Van down by the river, obviously his Matt Foley character. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really liked Bennett Brower. I don't know if you remember that. Which he only that? did it on Weekend Update twice. Okay. And he was the guy who put things in air quotes. Oh, yeah. Um, so he's like, you know, I'm not oh, yeah. like, the most popular guy. Or people say I'm uncomfortable to be around in social situations. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah, I remember him, that one. That's good. I love that. How the, was the uh, interview with Paul McCartney? <laughs> oh, yeah, the Chris Farley show was great. He had a couple of those. We talk about those all the time. And mm-hmm. the, uh, what else? The, oh, the one where he's, um, he gets, it's that candid camera 
uh, thing for the decaffeinated coffee crystals, and he's like <laughs> infuriated by it, and he yeah. just ends up trashing the restaurant until they knock him unconscious. <laughs> I mean, they had so many, and Tim Meadows, I just think, has like one of the best voices in the history of comedy. Oh, for um, sure. I remember the first time I met him, I did a show with him in 2008 randomly at, at, at IO. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're talking and having like a totally normal conversation. And then I had to leave and I'm like, I'm going to say something. And so I said something and made it weird for like years. Oh, God. And then eventually, eventually, like I'm doing stage shows at, at Second City. And I think he knows like, oh, this kid, this kid's all right. Yeah. Um, but I had to be like, I, Mr. Meadows, I have to give the best voice in the history of comedy. And he's like, thanks, man. Okay, see ya. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but he you know like he's such an advocate for chicago people and detroit people and um as one of the things that you could see early on uh is how these people were very proud of their community and i didn't know of any other community so this was the only one i first went to see a show at io in like 1996 i was 15 and i went up with a friend and saw a couple of Herald shows and I saw TJ Jagodowski and I think maybe Jack McBrayer and, wow. um, uh, and it was a Herald show and it was, it was, I mean, I was so blown away. It felt like poetry on its feet. I mean, everyone was so smart and it was so funny and, um, and, uh, you know, it was like there was meaning to what they were doing. Now it, it, it didn't always succeed, but the attempt at creating something meaningful and three-dimensional in this piece that was also open to interpretation uh, by the audience, um, who would sometimes pull more meaning from it than the performers. I, to me, was that's what made it kind of poetic. That's what made it so impressive. And after that, I was like, I was hooked. Sign me up. Yeah. So when did you night. when did you start at Second City? Um, like in classes, you mean? Yeah. I, so again, I, I like had a hard time admitting it to myself. I went to Loyola in Chicago mm-hmm. basically so that I could do improv, but didn't really start until probably my junior year. I think I started in 2000. Um, I took classes at this place, Low Sodium Theater, which turned into PH Theater eventually mm-hmm. uh, when I was like a freshman or sophomore, but honestly, I slept through most of my classes there. Um, <laughs> and, and then... And then, yeah, junior year, I took level A, and uh, it was great. I had this teacher, Judy Fabjans, who was amazing, and she recently passed away um, after a long battle with cancer. And, uh, Second City, I believe, renamed uh, one of their theaters inside the building after her. Um, mm-hmm. and she was such a great advocate. I remember I had a fake ID, and we went drinking after our last class. As you do. And Judy, Yeah, as you do. And Judy came. Also, my fake ID had my real name on it, like a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> At least it wasn't McLovin. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> um, so I, and I was leaving, and I told Judy, I was like, hey, I, have to, I was going on a semester abroad, and I was like, I can't continue with this class. And there were people that I still keep in touch with that are really supportive, that always were. I was 20, and they were all like 26. Um, and they were like, you got to keep doing this, kid. Like, you're meant to do this. And... I was walking out and I told Judy, I was like, you know, I can't continue with this group. You know, I'm kind of really bummed about that. She's like, you got to keep doing this when you get back from your semester. Okay. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. She's like, I'm serious. You're going to be on main stage someday. And, I, and I'm like, I'm 20. And I, I didn't know what it meant. I was like, she's probably telling everyone this. as they leave the bar. Yeah. That's a lot. And, yeah. And then she kind of kept in touch, you know, with 
with me as I kept doing classes. And then I got ETC and I remember I ran into her and I was like, well, you were wrong. I got ETC. <laughs> <laughs> and she laughed and laughed. And then eventually I got main stage and, and she, uh, I got to, you know, tell her that she was right. Yeah. Wow. But people like that, you know, they, I thought about that once I understood what she meant, I, I, I was like, what a gift, what a blessing she gave to right. give a 20 year old kid who like was so shy and had a great experience. Um, to give me just like the faith that I should, I should follow it. Yeah. That's so, so cool. So powerful. I actually take a class at second city right now. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I'm taking uh, TV and film writing um, with Terrence Brown, who says he knows you. Yeah. I ran into him when I was in Chicago a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Like, randomly. I was just walking around second city. I was walking around old town. And I ran into him. He's like, I'm going to teach right now. I was like, oh. That like, was my class. Like, <laughs> That's so funny. That's awesome. <laughs> um, um, so. So that, I, I, then I came back and I finished level B through E uh, wow. right as I was graduating college. And then I, I went right in. The thing was that I wanted, I wanted, like my only goal in comedy at first was to be on the best Herald team at IO. That was it. That's all I knew. That's all I cared about. Mm -hmm. And so I, I purposely didn't start IO classes until after Second City beginning classes because I was like, I want to be so ready going into this thing. Um, and then I, I went, so I, I was, like I had a lot of experience. I was, uh, I had some great teachers in level A, A through E. Um, Claudia Wallace, who's in Shrink, oh, uh, yeah. Bernadette, she was my level E teacher. And she was similarly, like, incredibly encouraging. Um, if anything, she was, like, calming me down because I was bouncing off the wall. Mm -hmm. uh, but she eventually, like a couple of years later, she recommended me for the touring company when I was up for the job. And um, she was a huge advocate. And uh, um, but yeah, then I rolled into IO classes and I felt like, you know, I was I was really ready for that. Um, and that was probably summer of 2003. And I met a lot of people that I still am. Um, you know, and that's some of my best friends in those classes, people that I keep in touch with, people that I've worked with on and off. Uh, and I mean, you know, it's, it's weird because I, I remember reading all these things about people saying that and being like, God, I should, I should, I should yeah. be so lucky. You know? <laughs> and I, I get to be that lucky. Totally. Wow. And, and I mean, the scene around Chicago, it's just, it is amazing. It's take it for granted living yeah. here, but it's unlike any other for sure. And at the time, I was really lucky that I, I kind of got to, without taking classes, starting in like 96 until about 2003 at I.O., I got to just watch, just soak in some of the, like, this murderer's row lineup. Every time, every time you went out, I'd get the little, the, the schedule wasn't even online. I'd get the paper schedule, and I'd <laughs> circle all the, all the team and be like, I have to see every team on the schedule. Yeah. Um, and I'd go watch my favorites and stuff, and, and uh there were, you know, I mean, in the first few years that I was going there, I saw Amy Poehler, Horatio Sands, wow. Steph Weir, TJ, Dave, Craig Kukowski, um, Dan Back at all, Peter Gross, Seth Myers. Uh, I mean, it was, it was just every time you went there, you'd see people that have, you know, in the in the last ten years, like really shaped American comedy. Yeah. Um, it was. It felt. It felt like a a special time. I mean, I was wide-eyed, so it always feels special then, right. but um, I have great memories of, of just sneaking into I.O., trying not to get kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I never used my fake ID there either because I was like, I don't want to, I don't, right. what if I get banned from this? Oh place? gosh, that would be, well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> be horrific. Um, yeah. Wow. So, okay. So then moving from Chris Farley, um, Tim Meadows, what, who would you list as number two? Or would you think the I, whole Second City kind of thing would be that? I mean, that, like that community from, from that time period um, is definitely, you know, I, I, I mean, early on, I'd say Quality Towers, Monty Python, those were big influences of mine. Mm-hmm. Favorite um, Monty Python after, sketch? Uh, let's see. Hmm, that's a tough one. Um, oh, tough Mine's the pick. cheese shop. <laughs> cheese shop is great. Uh, I always think of, like, Olympic hide-and-seek because it's such a dumb premise. <laughs> <laughs> it takes so long. Uh, I think it's funnier in my head than if I were to rewatch it. Yeah. But. But that's in good. my head, I just I feel like I feel like Dennis Hopper and Hoosiers like sitting in the crowd, just shaking my head, laughing, being like, "What is this? Right. This is so dumb." Yeah, oh, yeah, but it uh, works. It, it it really does. It's hard for me to pick a favorite among those, but um, yeah, I I I like the absurdism of that, and then I like seeing Faulty Towers. Like it's so tight. It's one of the last great farces ever made. Um, Please is amazing. Every all the actors, it's perfectly cast. Uh, and the conflict is always like the conflict is so beautifully written um, mm-hmm. that the crescendos of every episode, you, you you understand why John Cleese couldn't do it, and and it you know, like gave him a nervous breakdown basically. Yeah, it's they put they put so much energy yeah. right into it. Yeah, totally. Um, um, so yeah, I'd say those. That's kind of number two, and then number three would be kind of the the Chicago scene in the mid '90s to the early 2000s but really beyond that because i got to work and be several generations under people that i looked up to um for a really long time you know like michael bryan and uh hans holson who was in shrink Um, yeah uh you know tj dave i got to work with uh you know contemporaries mary snow and bryant um brendan jennings tim robinson sam richardson yeah uh People that, you know, I, I was always kind of the youngest, Jordan Klepper, Sarah Haskins. Um, you know, I, I couldn't even name all of them, but yeah. these were all people that were nice enough to invite like a younger person into their groups and let me you know, perform with them and learn from them. And when I was touring, uh, my friend Seth Whiteberg and I were, uh, we got hired around the same time. We were doing a two-person show together and so we got to tour with all these people and just kind of learn from them on the road. And, um, got, you know, I mean, I just feel like I toured with so many people that were so smart, so funny, had really high character, uh, took care of each other, gave me a great kind of backbone um, for the approach to comedy. What about comedy do you think allows for that camaraderie that, you know, because it, from the outset, it could be a really competitive thing. Um, is it like the improv scene specifically that that you see kind of those friendships build in, or you know? I think I think if you ever have a moment where the sum is greater than its parts, then it clicks for you in comedy, where you realize like you can't really you can do it all yourself, you know, and it can just be like one person basically doing solo stuff after another. Um, but you realize that if you collaborate, uh, you can exponentially make it funnier and, and better. Um, and you, you know, when you're coming up, if you learn kind of 
long form improv uh, from that place, which you know most of the of the schools of comedy teach, um, then you have you have experiences like that where the collaboration makes the sum greater than its parts, and you you kind of learn these lessons organically, um, and that bonds you with these people, you know, because uh, you when you're starting out like your your sense of taste is always greater than your ability to execute that taste. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone quotes that. It's like that. Everyone paraphrases that Ira Glass quote, uh, <laughs> which is basically what I just said. You right. know, but it, it's so true. You, you're starting out and like you suck compared to what you think is good. For sure. <laughs> so you can't do it yourself. You need help, and uh, improv allows you to kind of approach that level of taste. Hopefully, by helping each other you set each other up, you have a way greater chance because then you have several eyes on a project and not just one. Um, and when you're, when you're starting out, like one set of eyes usually isn't good enough to uh, achieve the level of taste that you want. But several working together in concert gives you the opportunity to, to do that. And then once you do that, you start to learn, like, why did that work? Oh, it worked because you made this move, which I didn't see. And you made this move, which he didn't see. And you made this move, which she didn't see. And she made that move, which... I didn't see. Um, so it, you know, it is a very organic process that kind of teaches you through example, the benefits of team building and collaboration and um, selflessness. Uh, and then, you know, slowly you kind of learn like what your voice is and you can do more on your own. Um, yeah. What was the hardest part of improv for you, like, at the beginning? What was the scariest, you know? Or, Ooh, great, are there... Yeah, great question. Uh, for me, it was, I, I mean, it was just getting out there for me. Um, I would get really shy. I, I had a really shy childhood, and uh, I could do things in rehearsal and practice that felt risky and... Uh, not self-conscious and then sometimes I would hit the stage and um it would just kind of overwhelm me it would it would swallow me up mm-hmm. and again I had a handful of like older performers that just took an interest and were like you don't have to feel like that like you should feel free to take all these risks uh and it kind of un- unbridled me a little bit um and I had great teachers and directors and coaches that that did the same that were encouraging kind of just told me to go for it totally have you ever thought about oh go ahead no no a few oh I was just gonna say have you ever thought about teaching eventually or like your parents you know both teachers or does that you know I I taught at IO for years oh did you okay I did yeah so how was Um, how was that I loved it in fact I always felt that I was a better performer when I was teaching um because you're teaching I was teaching level three at IO, which is all scene work, which was my favorite because you get to, you don't have to worry about any of the bells and whistles of the Herald. It's just like straight up, like two person scenes mm-hmm. and then you get a little bit more sophisticated you talk about three person scenes, but you're really getting into the, the kind of trenches of like what makes all comedy good. And through long form, like how can you best prepare yourself for a scene? How can you best navigate a scene? Um, and it was, it felt, it always felt like an eight week, kind of discussion uh and then you just experiment as much as you possibly can get on stage do as many scenes as you possibly can and then have relevant discussions so that 
you know, hopefully everyone feels like they, they get a little bit better at the end of those eight weeks. Uh, and I, yeah, I really, really loved it. I only, because of my schedule with Second City, I was only able to coach one team at IO uh, for about six months. Mm-hmm. Um, they were great. A lot of people on that team still doing comedy. Katie Thomas, who's in Teachers. Oh, uh, yeah. And, I just interviewed yeah, was, um, Chris Witaski, and his fiance's in Teachers. Yeah. Is it her? It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. okay. They, uh, and they were the Katie did. We used to perform on, was it Sunday nights? Yeah, I think Sunday nights with them. Yeah. Um, awesome. And it, it was, yeah, it was uh, Gary Richardson, who was in New York for a little bit, and I think now is writing on Simon Rich's uh, mm-hmm. upcoming show. Uh, just like, yeah, I, I, I really, really loved that because you're teaching the fundamentals, so it reinforces it for yourself. Right. But then you are also like you watch people come out of their shell and take risks. I mean, it just reminds you of like all of the simple things that you need to be doing. Um, you know, it, it reminds you how to be a student of the craft again. So I miss that. I taught once at IO West out here, but again, schedule wise, it, it's a, uh, it's difficult. Yeah, oh, totally. Um, so, so when did you move out west? When did you decide? What was like the moment that was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta go. You know, tell uh, me what was that. It came in stages. I, uh, I moved in January 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, I n- never really thought. I always wanted to stay in Chicago because once, once I was like, all right, I want to be on the best Herald team, and then you know, I felt like I was for a little while. Yeah. Bolt Lounge, um, and then. You know, and then I was like, oh, well, you want to do Second City, you want to do like the best show, you know, and you want to do a show that's like ranks up there with the with the greats with Pinata Full of Bees and Psychopath Not Taken and Paradigm Lost and like, you know, um, I include America All Better, Stud Circle's Not Working. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm, but I was a real Second City dork and an improv Olympic dork. I mean, <laughs> I, I love the history of all of it. Yeah. So once I was on the stage at Second City, I wasn't looking past it that much. Um, Saturday Night Live was absolutely like, you know, on the horizon, uh, as it was for all my peers. But the more I learned about it, the more I thought like, uh, I don't know if I'd do good at that. I don't do well without a ton of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't think I'd really want to write for it. That wasn't really what I envisioned for myself. Uh, I auditioned in 2012, which was great, but I'd say I got a manager in summer of 2010 and then. Uh, in 2011, I won the Jeff Award for uh, one of the ETC shows that I did. Yeah, yeah, so cool. And that was the that was the first time. Then agents started to come around, and, and I started to realize, like, oh, maybe I could leave Chicago. And then Ted Tremper approached me, um, and around that time, we had started doing Shrink uh, in the fall of 2011, and that honestly helped me. And I told Ted this, and I, you know, I told. New York television festival people this, but that helped me realize I could do television. Um, Cause Ted did such a great job with the original. Uh, and when we turned the web series into a pilot, um, I was, you know, I really thought like, Oh, th- this felt natural to me and it looks good. Maybe I could do that. Uh, and then one thing after another in 2012, I started doing commercials for us cellular, which lasted for about a year and a half. And, oh, Hey, that's, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, How was those, that? It was really fun. I, commercials, I have always thought are fun, kind of easy. Um, it's surprising how much time it takes to make a 30-second commercial, but it's still, it was still a blast. I learned a ton. 
Uh, it helped me be more comfortable in front of the camera. It took me out to L.A. to shoot commercials, and then I'd take meetings and learn the town that way. And, mm-hmm. and then I did pilot season in 2013, uh, and we had sold Shrink uh, by the summer of 2013. And so once that happened, I realized, like, oh, it's inevitable. It's got to happen. But, I, you know, I left Second City in September 2012, and I, you know, purposely did it uh, – before the holidays so that I could spend time with my family and Joliet and kind of benefit from um, living a normal life in Chicago for a little while. And so I, I ended up staying almost a year and a half after I left, which maybe I should have moved right away, but um, I had a great year and a half in Chicago before sure. leaving. Um, so, okay. So shrink where, where did that premise come out of it? So it started as a web series. Um, yeah. But what, Ted approached me with that. And he said, just with the uh, log line you know, or with the, you know, already kind of fully well, formed idea or he had done, uh, Ted had, he'd been filming a lot of improvisation because he was kind of renting equipment from school. So he was getting his master's, I believe, um, uh, at, uh, school of the art Institute. I'm not mm-hmm. sure which one, but, um, he re- was renting all this equipment and he was filming improv and he kind of had his eye on like how to use long form improv the way that Chicago kind of practiced it at the time into a film project or like anything filmed. And so he created this web series called breakups where you would basically see the moment where two people are breaking up. Um, and it was completely improvised and some of it was more emotional and some of it was sillier. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it did really well. I think it won like a Vimeo award or something. And, and he, it, it really whet his appetite for like, how can you, get a situation, a scenario where people are improvising at the height of their intelligence, where emotionally, um, you know, they can be honest and they're not just gunning for jokes, but if that happens, that's good too. And so he approached me and he's like, Hey, I think you'd, you'd be the right guy for this. I had a friend who graduated from medical school, didn't match with the university hospital. So he's like in all this debt and he's living in his mom's basement. Uh, and, and then I kind of said, well, it's, it is, and, like, you know, you have a ton of debt at that point, and you're a smart person, but you're, like, you're screwed. So he kind of laid out, like, I think that the improvisation would be these sessions. This guy would kind of pivot into therapy um, to, to defer his student loans. And I'm mm-hmm. like, absolutely. This sounds so fantastic. And I had an idea for the character right away and how to approach it. And then we just basically built a list of people that we most wanted to work with, Um and, uh, you know, that included, like, Greg Holloman, TJ, Jagodowski, A.D. Bryant, Hans Holson, Rebecca Sohn. Um, and, and we kind of built, we ended up filming, I think, 12 of them, nine of which were released, some of which were also used in the, the pilot. Mm-hmm. And then we would, Ted would release them, like, once a week or every few weeks. And it got a great response. You know, at the time, in Chicago, people weren't doing that many web series. Yeah. Uh, and so it was very new. And then he, he told me, you know, I have this idea if I, if I film like three transitional pieces, one with Sue, the supervising therapist, one with Claudia Wallace um, in the waiting room, mm-hmm. and then one with Nick Napier at the end. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the original, but the, um, what happens with Nick at the end of uh, the CISO season uh, happened at the end of the original pilot. Okay. Oh, not to spoil anything for people who haven't seen either, yeah. um, but I'll just, I'll, so that you know, and people who, who are watching who haven't seen the original know. Um, 
So, and, and it was, it made for, and then we improvised with Sue Gillen. And I mean, she sounded like a real therapist. Everyone thought she was a real therapist and she completely improvised it. Wow. And she's brilliant. She's so, oh, she, oh, yeah. I'll swear for that. She's, she's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and she was someone that I looked up to and who's kind of a mentor to just maybe more people than, than anyone else in, in recent memory in Chicago has, has been a mentor to, um, she's touched the comedic lives of so many people. And oh my God, when she's in the sex shop, <laughs> I, I couldn't stop laughing. Just like, her face is like, oh my God, sorry. Oh Jesus, that was so funny. And that, that, that take between her and I where we're just silent staring at each other, probably the, the longest take that we did was probably twice or three times as long as that. Oh, and, <laughs> and, I, and I remember on that day fighting for it and be like, I just want one take where we go so long yeah. and just don't, don't yell cut. Wolf, Sue and I will feel it out. And Ted's like, absolutely great idea. Yeah. And, uh, and then, yeah, he, he did a great, he directed that scene. He did a great job. Um, he directed that, that whole episode. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, so sorry. Um, <laughs> no, no. So the the original, I forget what the uh, original question was about. Um. Oh, so the the whole premise. So it came out of you know somebody that oh, yeah he knew. Um. Yeah, and then and as we started filming these sessions in the garage for the original, which were just one one off webisodes, mm-hmm. uh, my character started to develop. You know, it was completely improvised except for the cards that I would read. That little the like, Illinois, know, yeah, 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 prompt, yeah. And so, um, you know, week by week, I was doing ETC, and then on Mondays and Tuesdays, we would film. And it kept getting colder and colder, so yeah. in the web series, like, eventually, we're, like, all bundled up. Oh, uh, that's great. Yeah, and I, uh, yeah, it was really fun. Um, it, was, it was great. And we didn't, you know, we were just doing what we thought. We were just going off instinct. Right. And uh, Ted was great. He called in a bunch of favors. It cost $211 to film the original web series and pilot. Wow. Um, yeah. What was that spent and, on? Wow. Almost half was spent on renting out the 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 therapy the garage office where the, oh, the, the office no yeah. the, the office where the therapist is mm-hmm. at. Um, That's pretty cheap. Yeah, that was it, it. Was pretty cheap, I think. And then some of it was like like uh, it was right the uh, the garage was right by uh, Devil Dogs at Webster and Sheffield mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, it's right around the corner from Devil Dogs, down an alley. Um, wow. And so I, I think maybe a quarter of it was spent on Devil Dogs after we finished recording one yeah. night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Ted says he did, yeah, and he says that didn't count in the $211. Right. Well, some <laughs> equipment rental. Yeah, so that, we slowly kind of developed the world and the character and the characters around it through that. And then um, once I went to New York Television Festival and Patrick Daly, from, who was at Gene Dominion Productions at the time, uh, he, he got wind of it. And before we even went to the festival, he was like, I want to help you guys develop this. Wow. And we were very flattered. So we agreed. And then we spent the next six months developing it remotely from Chicago with him in New York and then flew out to L.A. in May of 2013 and, and pitched it to eight places. And uh, we got to the second level with like FX and AMC, but ultimately it wasn't perfectly on brand for them it's hard in tv yeah. um and also we were nobodies you know we were we, uh, like i had like i don't even know if i had a tv credit to my name maybe i had just done veep but it hadn't come out yet mm-hmm. yeah wow but so CISO went for it was it then that CISO picked it up CISO picked it up 
in March of 2016, two of the executives that had been at Pivot, where we first sold it, oh, right. no longer exists, uh, they moved to CISO. And so they were, one of them was from Chicago, Kelsey Balance. The other, Evan Shapiro, uh, was the CEO, and he, um, uh, he had a soft spot for it. And they just really believed in it. They championed it. And then I had done at the time, already two seasons of bajillion dollar properties. So good. Oh my God. Okay. Somehow I have, I'm a huge comedy bang bang fan. And like, you know, I oh, yeah. listen. Oh yeah. Yeah. Listen all the time. I'm, I'm by the way, I'm in one coming out tomorrow. Really? Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The recurring. And, and I asked Scott, I was like, Hey, can I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do one for a while for something that I can't talk about yet. But, okay. um, good. Love that. I asked him. I, yeah. I asked as long him, as it's good. Like, uh, <laughs> I think it'll be very good, yeah. Okay. And I get to work with people that I've known for 15 years. It's I'm really excited about it. Cool. Um, but I don't know when. The news might come out tomorrow. It might come out uh, two weeks from now. So okay. I can't talk about it. But uh, I asked Scott, I was like, hey, man, you know, probably the last one I'm going to do for a while. Can I repeat a character? He's like, yeah, sure. So it's a, it's a character I've done a few times already. Oh, man, I want to guess, but I'm not going to. <laughs> that, I, that I love, and it's, it's all Joliet. Okay, I think I know. I, okay. <laughs> oh, God. Actually, I also listened today in preparation, research, um, for our interview. I listened to your, uh, with special guest Lauren Lapkus, the, oh, yeah. the breakfast, whatever. Yeah, Todd Nash or Todd oh, or whatever. Yeah, that's right, Todd Nash. That was really good. I love, like, my, my dad used to, my dad owned a picture frame store for 20 years in Joliet, and he was listening to the radio all the time and mm-hmm. just listening to different albums, but he's always listening to the radio, and I realized that. Like, one of my directors coming up was like, uh, I did a radio piece in my first DTC show, and he was like, oh, yeah, I knew there'd be a, something about radio in there. I'm like, oh, really? Am I that predictable? But I love, <laughs> like, radio personalities that are like, hey, everybody, let's get this going. And like, fast talking. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah, fast talking. They've done a mountain of coke. It's like 4.30 in the morning. They're like, oh, my God, there's going to be so much traffic. We're going to tell you about that. But right now, we got to talk about this new hit record by this pop culture phenom. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's good. That's your. Uh, I think yeah. that's your second career, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lauren's Lauren's great, and that that oh, God, yeah. that podcast is so great. It's so like, um, I think most people who would want to come up with a podcast idea, that would be like the first idea that they would come up with. You know, right. like, well, can I? If if I'm an improviser and I want to do a podcast, I love doing characters. I want to do a different character every single time. So it's a it's like a crystal clear like great oh, oh it's so yeah. good and then it gives the guest yeah. like a certain level of responsibility to kind of like come up well how what was what's the process for that did you like come with this idea already or did you guys develop it no i mean i was already a fan of the podcast you know i knew how it worked in terms of like you come in with an idea so i just i just you know i'd, I'd listen to probably at that time maybe 60 percent of the episode so uh-huh. i went when she asked me i had a couple of days heads up so i uh, I went through the ones that I hadn't listened to just to make sure that no ideas overlapped. Right. Because um, I, I always think it's it's better to, you know, to, to put yourself in that position where, yeah. you know, if however it goes, as long as it's not overlapping on stuff. And that, I, feel, I feel as a fan, I feel like the fans like that. Because they're like, oh, it's like a new flavor. Cool. Right. Um, and then I had a couple ideas, and that was the one that I kind of settled on because I, I thought it would go really fast, and she's uh, she's great at improvising really quickly too and it would, it would make the time go by really fast yeah that was, a, that was a really fun one yeah so good um okay i'm trying to backtrack what were we talking oh bajillion dollar property so yeah i watched the first and second because when is he so like gonzo uh probably a couple months okay so I, i've got I'm time not sure if it's the end of september or what yeah okay. but 
My brother was uh, like, don't done... watch everything on there right now because you never know. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we yeah. watched it last night. Glenn is awesome. You kill it with that. So was that before or after or during Shrink? What was the timeline there? That How did was... you get into that? Well, so at that point, I auditioned for that after Pivot had owned Shrink for probably a little over two years. Wow. And it had gone nowhere. Yeah. And in the summer of 2015, kind of realized it was it was done, but they still owned it for like a year. And so we were really deflated. I mean, the summer of 2015 was a real tough time. Yeah. Uh, and we, uh, um, and so we find out that it isn't going forward. And I started auditioning for other stuff. I actually did the uh, Jake and Amir pilot for True TV, which didn't get picked up. Mm-hmm. Um, in August of 2015, that was super fun. Yeah, I bet. And then, uh, and then um, I auditioned for Bajillion, and it was great. The audition was like you just prepare this stuff and you come in and improvise. So you know a little bit about the character, and you just improvise it. And I was, I was like, oh, this is, this is so fun. It's gonna be like easy and really fun. Yeah. I went in, and the character already had some things about Predator in it, and I've seen Predator like. 50 times and <laughs> honestly if you said what's your top six influences in comedy predator would be number six really because uh, it's so funny to me um <laughs> i saw it at the i saw it at the music box once at like a midnight showing oh hell yeah oh, the audience was laughing so hard it's great it's like such a pure action movie i've never um, seen it so I, oh you gotta see it it's such there's only like 50 lines in the entire movie really uh, yeah and my friends and i like growing up like we know pretty much all the lines we recorded <laughs> all the time and that's great so i knew i like went into the audition for bajillion being able to like throw in any line from predator as it was nece- as it was needed wow uh and i think they thought like i'd done a bunch of research and i was like no i just really know the movie and <laughs> then the, like a typecast situation <laughs> <laughs> yeah i kind of got typecast with a guy who knew predator <laughs> <laughs> oh wow but so- i love that the character was so kind of naive and what's interesting about him is that he's the kind of the only low status character in the show yeah um and he doesn't really know that he's getting shit on right uh and that was also kind of typecast i think a lot of times um i'm a a bit slow yeah like in recognizing that i'm getting shit on and then Uh like kind of romantically too like if i'm getting hit on or shit on i don't really know it that it's happening there's a podcast hit on or shit on with tim (laughs) balls Um, so, so, okay. So that kind of, oh, well, let's, let's talk about influence four. Cause mm-hmm. is that, is that what we're on? I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Whichever one you want to throw out there. I'll put these, I'll put these two things together and it, I, I can't explain it completely, but w- when people get it, they really get it. I'm going to put cheers and second city together. Okay. Yes. Uh, I love cheers. I'm actually halfway through season seven again right now. Awesome. Um, and I think it's amazing. It's so smart. The acting is so good. And I just read this quote. I was going through the, I was reading the article about the oral history of Cheers. Um, <laughs> and uh, who was it? It was David Lee, who was a writer in one of the EPs. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, I'm just, I'm flat out going to quote it because I literally, like 10 minutes before you called, I, I just screenshot this. And he said, on some shows, the producers say, oh, you got to have 10 jokes per page. And Glenn and Les Charles would go, you know, it's better to get rid of 50 percenters, the jokes that are just chuckles, and be satisfied with the 100 percenters. If you have enough lesser jokes in the way, you actually start diminishing the value of really good ones. For sure. And I read that and I was like, oh, 
holy crap. Yeah. That's, that's uh, like this. Yeah, I, that's one, uh, almost one of my core beliefs. Like, I, I don't have a problem with 10 jokes per page. That's fine. But, man, my cheers was so good at just saying, like, get rid of this chuckle and put in an emotionally honest moment that develops this character or moves this character and this character's relationship forward. Um, and the, the, the bar, the set was so amazing. Everything was kind of cast, you know, pitch perfect. Mm-hmm. And the actors were all so good that when you weren't laughing, you were investing further. Yeah. And then when you weren't investing further, you were laughing. But sometimes while you were laughing, you were also investing further. And the first time I walked into Second City, whether it was ETC or Main Stage, I just had this, it looked like the bar. It felt like the bar at Cheers, like yeah. the history that was there, the ability to use emotional moments. I think of like the Tina Fey, Rachel Dratch scenes, the, the wicked scenes where like the mom and daughter are talking. Mm-hmm. And like the mom is basically saying like, I don't want you to get pregnant at like 16 and ruin your life like me. And the daughter's like, screw you, I want to party. Like that, there's yeah. like, there's a lot of, pain and real emotion in that scene and it's so much funnier for it and the late night the mid to late 90s and early 2000s at second city um that i was exposed to and maybe it was just time and circumstance and coincidence but uh a lot of the shows that i would see would take chances like that not throughout the whole show but once or twice in a two-act two-hour review and so it lived in spirit along the same lines um and uh you know, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I don't think you can, you, you can't really argue with Cheers. And I think those casts at Second City in that stretch of time were, uh, you know, they their their achievements speak for themselves both there and then afterwards. Totally. Yeah. Damn. I'm going to have to quote that at my uh, my next TV class. That, that yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll send it to you. I'll send that little quote to you awesome. along with the link to the article. Thank just, you. Yeah, no, that's dynamite article. I see. Yeah. I'm like, I miss Cheers. Um, I was born in '93, so I'm, I you know, it was it was always like on, but I don't. I never really watched it, so maybe that's one that I got to go back and watch. It's it's worth yeah, it's worth watching, and it it also like goes through like subtle and significant changes throughout the eleven seasons. Um, like Shelley Long's amazing, but she's only in the first five seasons, and yeah. then when she leaves and Kirstie Alley comes in. Uh, Sam, who's played by Ted Danson, um, his like character uh, and his relation and the dynamic between a couple other characters changes, um, not drastically, but enough that you're that you're like, wow, this is a side of this character that I hadn't really thought about. And the writers were so smart. Uh, it was also like kind of the last generation of writers that grew up um, with literature as their influences character and not television yeah so they weren't basing this off of like i love lucy i'm paraphrasing the article now um and like you know uh all in the family they were basing it off of like pg Waterhouse and and uh you know great characters in literature that they've grown up reading so it's a really high intellectual level on cheers but it's also just set in a bar with a bunch of losers yeah. that's what they are yeah they're a bunch of um talking with Graham Linehan who directed the first two episodes of Shrink. Oh, that's another one, man. It'd be hard not to, it'd be hard to exclude Graham from my top five, but All he right. did Father Ted and IT Crowd. Oh, um, yeah. Damn. You know, I didn't find those until like mid 2000s, so I, I can't really count him among, among like, you know, like early influences, yeah. but um, I thought 
father Ted is just one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. And getting him to come over and work on Shrink was, I mean, it's like the memories of those few weeks in my head. He's in Chicago for like three weeks working on it, or like they're covered in like a, a buzz, like a static. Cause yeah. At the time, I'm just like, I can't believe this dude is here, and he likes this, and he's having a good time. <laughs> wow, that's epic. That's yeah. so cool. He, um, wonderful man. What? Why? Why TV? Why? What have you? Why are you loving to make you know TV shows? Why is it important in your eyes? Um, I don't know. That's like a really broad question. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's fine. I mean, I like I have a longer answer and a simpler answer, and the simpler answer was that. I grew up with a love of theater and acting, and I always thought it was really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, live performances were amazing. And I also grew up half French in, in Joliet, Illinois, which is a real blue-collar town, and those cultures are completely opposed to each other. And so uh, there's a French saying um, uh, that, that just says that you're, you're funny because you're different. And that's mm-hmm. you know, tra- roughly translated. Yeah. And, it was the truth. I was shy and I was observant because of that. And because I was observant, I, I looked at people's idiosyncrasies and their personality traits. And I was a social chameleon because I felt like I had to be. I felt like I had to kind of shield my difference um, uh, from my peers. You know, I didn't want a spotlight. And yet at the same time, because I was observant, like I thought, oh, I can morph into these different things. So when I, when I discovered improv, at 15, I thought this is this this is finally the thing where I can use all the things I've been learning throughout my life, you know. And and I've been learning those things as defense mechanisms or as um, I've just been learning them by necessity. And improv was a way for me to finally put them all together and use them unapologetically. Uh, and and it happened to be in front of a crowd. Um, and I, I had a real love for acting and obviously a real love for comedy. And it was television put all those things together. I was just, you know, I didn't really admit that to myself until, you know, I was about 30. But that's that was the truth. Totally. So cool. Um, wow. So we've kind of uh, covered the bases then, I believe. Um, I feel like, did I give you a fifth? Was that a fifth? Was okay, fifth? let's see. We had... I had a fifth one. Oh, well, I think I'd say... Like, I like a lot of silent stuff, uh, Jacques Tati and Mr. Bean. Um, and then I'd say just British stuff in general, like Alan Partridge. Um, oh, so Dark good. Stuff. Yeah. The Armando Iannucci shows, like oh. all the ones that he's done, but then the, spe- the one that's specifically called the Armando Iannucci shows. I mm-hmm. think that's one of the smartest, most underrated, overlooked um, seasons of comedy uh, and sketch. And... And then later generations like that Mitchell and Webb look and, um, you know, uh, League of Gentlemen and, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, there's there's so many great examples, uh, but those were, oh, well, no, no, I was, actually, the fifth one I was going to say is Bill Murray. This has got to be. Ah, uh, you got to put him in there, don't you? And Yeah, and I wouldn't even say fifth, obviously, he just, he's such an influence for everybody, but, um, you know, he's kind of an anomaly, he's. He's very intuitive and instinctual. Uh, he's funny on so many different levels. He can, you know, he could riff for 24 hours and get laughs the whole time. Yeah. And he's he can be emotional. He gives you a sense that he understands the weight and gravity of life and uh, the pain and the humor and the absurdism and all of it. And, you know, there's probably 
probably no greater comedian in the time that he's been working than him. Here, here. I, you know, yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, he's he's insanely he's just insanely talented. Um, did, have you met him? Have you had a a run in? No, but his brother Joel played. Uh, yeah. Like you know, Raleigh and Shrink, and right. I've been a big big fan of Joel ever since I kind of dove into the Second City archives and and kind of then followed his career. Kind of, I'd seen him in Dharma and Greg and, and Mad Men and stuff like that. Uh, but you know, he was in the Dave Pasquazi Tin Meadows era mm-hmm. of and Chris Farley uh, at Second City. So I knew who he was, and I really liked him. And I always thought, like, <clears throat> you know, if you're gonna have a a dad who's quintessentially Chicago. Oh, um, totally. And and like, and, and Joel can do many different things. Great singer too, by the way. Really? Um, but he, yeah, but he can, yeah, wonderful voice. Uh, at our rap party for Shrink, he sang Brandy at uh, <laughs> at Hidden Cove, and everyone was just kind of stopped and was like, "Holy, holy crap!" Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> Great song too. Yeah, shout out to Joel for that. Um, <laughs> but uh, he was, I, I think, like you know, Chicago, like blue collar dad like he was so perfect and when we, when we got him and he agreed to do it and then megan Fay, who grew up in joliet who played my mom on the show oh i didn't realize she grew yeah. up in joliet i and she was the first person from joliet to do second city and and i remember when i got there to chicago and i, and I found that out and i was like wow so i wouldn't have to like break through from joliet yeah. you know right Just, you know you, you grew up in joliet and you probably got a chip on your shoulder in the chicagoland area <laughs> You probably do. My dad always says hey, you can get the boy out of Juliet, but you can't get the Juliet out of boy. Hell yeah. I'm <laughs> dipping right now in honor of your dad. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah. I, you know, and I don't know. I just, uh, I, you know, Joel, and he's so great to work with. And in episode five, like that scene with him and David in the car. Oh, yeah. Uh, he improvised a ton, and a lot of the improv shows up there, but he like we had probably like three minutes worth of just dynamite improv with him and, and he can do it. Like he's just rolling off a log. He's, yeah. uh, he's, he's, he comes from that era where there was, there was very little expendable, you know, right. it wasn't disposable. Like it was all like that generation They're They're almost like mystics. Like they, they don't believe in just like tossing out trash. Like everything kind of mattered and counted, but they made it look effortless. Yeah. So, not the time and place that we live in right now but um i wonder if it will yeah. be again if there's going to be like a a nostalgia or a like a get it together people <laughs> and everything yeah, when, when, when the earth is torched and we're all living underground yeah we'll <laughs> right <laughs> candle and then, improv and then shows. that's probably when shrink will get new life on some underground <laughs> oh, network god. You know, literally literally oh god um <laughs> okay (laughs) we made it to the puns um cool well yeah okay wait favorite bill murray movie or i mean i know it's hard to pick what comes to mind um i mean i would say what about bob uh caddyshack yeah lost in translation um i thought he was so good in saint vincent his yeah. cameo in Coffee and Cigarettes is amazing. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Uh, that one's great. He's with Riza and Jizza from Wu-Tang Clan. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> Say no <yeah>. more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it, it really is hard to... Oh, man, you know what? No. 
Oh, I'll tell you this. This is critically underrated. It's such a shame. The man who knew too little. Oh, what's that? That's, let me, let me check the year from this, but um, let's see. I'm writing it down. Uh, 1997. Oh, my God. This is such, oh, it's like he, oh, my God. He does everything in this movie. It's so good. The Man Who Knew Too Little from 1997 is so underrated as a Bill Murray movie. The whole thing takes place in London. He's this uh, kind of American guy who's down on his luck who goes to visit his brother, and um, he, his brother doesn't know what to do with him, and so he sends him on this, uh, like, what he thinks is, like, a fake, like, murder mystery tour that's uh-huh. kind of done by, like, theater people, but he actually gets caught up in this, like, weird mob murder thing. Oh, God. Um, and, like, spy plot, and he's he's... Oh my God, I, I don't, I don't understand how that isn't more revered. It's so good, and it's a grand slam in every scene. That those are those are probably my top Bill Murray movies. All right, cool. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. Um, and uh, favorite Cubs player? No, I'm kidding. We won't go into that because <laughs> Mark Grace. Mark oh, there Grace. you go. Yeah, absolutely. It's Mark Grace, him. then Andre Dawson, then Sean Dunstan. Uh, then Greg Maddox, then Ryan Sandberg. Those are my top five. I Did love you see guys. that video of Greg Maddox like uh, punking um, Chris Bryant? He dressed up as like a oh. sound guy. Did you see that? Yes, I did. <laughs> so yeah, good. and he starts to like he's he he won't like he can't get a hit off him. Yeah, and he gets he's getting really frustrated. He's like who is this guy? <laughs> oh god, that's so good. Um, yeah, nothing like a good old Cubs game. Have you gone to any this year? No, I haven't because I haven't been. Yeah. Uh, Every time I was I was back this year, they were um, out of town. Damn. And uh, and you know, Len Caster was in it. That's another thing. Yeah. About oh God, that's what I wanted to talk to. Yes. How did that happen? Well, everything lined up. First, I got to know Len because he and his wife and his son came to an ETC show in like 2011. Mm-hmm. And they loved it, and then they came back. Where they came, and then they came back with their son because they were like, "Hey, he loves comedy, and this is appropriate." And uh, <laughs> and then his son, like his son, was so excited and kind of looked like a mini me at the time now he's taller than me yeah 15 or 16 but um he uh we got him into classes at second city and he really loved it and len's wife had worked for harold ramus when he was oh, uh, wow in chicago yeah and so they were just real big supporters of second city shows they usually go see every show like main stage and etc at least once and uh len's just like the coolest nicest person so is his wife pam uh and we had written this part, and Patrick Daly, one of our EPs, had said, you know, if we only get to do one season of this, uh, haunting words, but, uh, you know, just go for go for broke. And I was like, all right. And so when we were doing episode six, I was like, I think this dream should take place at Wrigley Field. We yeah. should do it at Wrigley Field. We should try to get it. Let's try to get it. And if we do, we can get Len Casper, or if we get Len, maybe we can get Wrigley, one or the other. And... uh so we'd written it kind of fully knowing, like, we're probably going to have to rewrite this. Yeah. And sure enough, we couldn't get Wrigley for more than, like, four hours, and that wasn't going to be enough time. Um, and then, you know, I, I kind of I texted Len, and I was like, hey, Len, you know, how do we get in touch with you to figure out schedule stuff? Like, we wrote something for you. And he's like, oh, that's so sweet. But he, the playoffs had already started, so he's going around the country right. um, with the Cubs. And then <clears throat> I'm also looking at the production schedule, and I'm like, 
when is this day going to fall? Because if this day is falls when he's in, you know, L.A. for the the, the National League pennant, we're screwed. You're right. We're going to have to re- rewrite it or get someone else, or I don't know what we're going to do. Um, and then, and then he got back to me, and he's like, "Hey, here's this will be my my one day off in the playoffs," <gasps> and it happened to be the day that we were going to film that. And I was like, "All right." Len, like, this is working out perfectly, but it's a night shoot. We're not going to start until the sun goes down. Yeah. And then we'll probably go until, like, 2 or 3 in the morning. He's like, totally cool. Wow. And I, what? You're one day off. You spend, like, in Albany Park at some, like, baseball field until, like, 2 in the morning. I mean, what a great guy. Yeah. He's, and he was so game because I just, like, oh, we were like, so all right, funny. well, if we have Len for this much, let's just write. I, I wrote a ton of alts for him yeah. to say. And so you see at the end of the episode, he's just like, we're just feeding him stuff. And he's saying, yeah. (laughs) Oh, that was, that was such a great episode. I mean, as a Cubs fan, you know, it's like, what the hell? That's amazing. (laughs) And Um, Kevin Dorff, who plays my dad in that episode. mm -hmm. Also like second city legends. I came up watching, but um, he's a Sox fan. And so we got him in a full Cubs uniform and then I texted (laughs) it to a bunch of his friends and they're like, I never thought I'd see the day. (laughs) Burn. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Uh, okay. Okay. So last question. Um, yeah. And this is kind of just a, because I'm taking a, you know, TV writing class at Second City and I, you know, I'm with all these students and I, I see all the, the hope in their eyes. Um, what, what's your words of wisdom for somebody just starting out, just fairly, you know, diving into this scene? What, or any, any creative endeavor? What, what do you, what do you say to them? Well, if you're in Chicago, enjoy your time there and enjoy the collaboration and, and the, the wonderful parts of the city because odds are if you're doing this, you're going to have to leave at some point and you'll look back uh, with a lot of fondness for Chicago. Um, and you'll understand that when you get there. Yeah. Uh, so I'll just say that. That's an aside. But I would say uh, be nice. Be genuinely nice because that's how you're going to get a ton of jobs, by being good and genuinely nice. If you have to pick between someone who's equally good and one person's a jerk and one person's not, you got to go with the person who's not a jerk. Uh, so try not to burn bridges. That's probably impossible, but, you know, it's it's a good rule of thumb. Yeah, for sure. Good way to, to approach it. Um, then uh, I think <coughs> excuse me. Um, I, I think uh, don't don't discount like all the jobs that are available to you in this field. If you come up in Chicago, as, especially as a performer, um, but even as a writer, sometimes you, you tend to think that like the only, there's only one golden ticket out of town and it's SNL. Yeah. And that's the one kind of failing of the kind of um, community in Chicago is that they kind of place that on a pedestal and it's just, almost impossible to get that job right yeah even taking it from someone who came close and then the closer i got to it the more i was like i don't even know if i want this like by the time we had done shrink i thought like well i'd really rather do shrink than than do snl i know i'd be trading a ton of visibility but i like shrink was so ideal and amazing um and then i moved out to la and i see all these second city people and ex-chicago people and they're working all these different kinds of jobs in production and writing and producing and acting. Uh, and and if you're married to this idea of SNL, you kind of shut yourself off 
to all the other avenues that are available to you. And you shut yourself off from working on all the different skills that you'll need, Mm -hmm. you will need, uh, if you're only working on your five minutes for your characters and your impressions. Um, So learn the things that are available, like in the TV and film writing class that you're in. Like Learn those skills. Uh, Learn the fundamentals while you can in Chicago, while the industry's eye isn't, like hitting you and asking you what you can offer and how, right. they can, how much blood they can suck out of you. Uh, <laughs> because you'll need those fundamentals. Um, and the more that you have, the more jobs you'll be, you know, up for, uh, the more jobs you can get uh, and the more you can kind of diversify your skill set. So take the time in Chicago to learn. Um, it's a really fun city and, and you can watch the years pass having a blast and performing and getting better on stage and honing those skills. Uh, but it's just as important to, you know, make good relationships, actual true relationships, and then learn the fundamentals like, you know, sitcom writing, pilot writing, you know, film, story arc, uh, character development. Mm-hmm. Those things are, they're, they're all essential and they can help you in any of the fields that, that you get into. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I hope you. it helped, and I hope it didn't, I hope it didn't talk too long. No? no, dude, that was awesome. That is so great. That was really fun. Um, learned a lot, and I really appreciate you joining me. Um, you know, you didn't have to say yes to this random girl on Twitter. <laughs> so it means no, a lot. No worries. For real. Um, hashtag safe shrink. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, any thank parting you words? Much. Where, where can people uh, find Shrink in the meantime, um, et the cetera? What else on, do you have going on? Yeah, at the meantime, it's still on CISO, uh, along with the first three seasons of Bajillion Dollar Properties. There's a fourth orphan season of Bajillion Dollar Properties, so by Jillian and Slave Shrink. Yes. Uh, they're two shows that brought me a ton of joy, and the people that made it were wonderful people who had a blast with each other. Um, and they I, still will when they get picked up by someone. Yeah. Exactly. You never know when it's when it's when the right time for them to come back will be. Hopefully, it's soon. Yeah. Um, and as far as uh, upcoming projects, like that'll that'll be announced shortly. Oh, right. I, I wish I could tell you. More. I wish I could tell you more. Yeah. Um, and then, not for for parting words. I mean, uh, I love Chicago. I miss it, and I hope everyone there that's working in comedy or otherwise is is having a nice time and you know keeping the city clean and watching shrink. Yeah, yeah, please do. We, yeah. It's it, it's our love letter to Chicago. It's awesome. And I will say that the pilot that I wrote for Terrence's class is actually, before I ever saw Shrink or anything, I, I wanted to write a show about moving back in with your parents after, uh, uh-huh. after well, I studied abroad and, you know, so just kind of that whole duality or, you know, weird. Just Yeah, and you, you capture it so well, so it's, it's exciting to see that that can be done. And, I mean, there's so many people in that situation, so I feel like. Got to give them the voice. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. There are, it, we felt that it was relevant in terms of like debt and your kind of plan A getting put in check and um, and then dealing with mental health as respectfully as we could. So, oh, yeah. Glad yeah. that on a lot of those levels it's resonated. It's meant a lot to us for people who've, who've reached out. Totally. Awesome. Well, congratulations on all you've done and, you know, keep killing it. I'll hear you on Comedy Bang Bang this, tomorrow. <laughs> Very excited yeah. for that. Yeah, um, tomorrow. And yeah, reach out too if you have a guest, and let me know if you guessed right or not. Oh, yes. Um, okay, I will. 
I'm trying. Is it the? It's not the Wisconsin Sugar Daddy or Sugar Baby. No, it's not. But close. Um. All right, I'm gonna. I'll. I'll go consult my brother and I'll tweet at you. <laughs> all right, cool. <laughs> okay, sweet. So nice to talk to you, Tim. Uh, let me know when you're bye, in Chicago. Bye. I'm Rick Kogan's producer. Um. Oh my God, you are. Yeah. <laughs> oh, will you give Rick my best? I will. Have you met him? I worked on this. The like, Second Chicago City Live. Radio. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I was like the first host of it. Um, and gosh, I mean. Boy, were my feet, boy, were my, I was I wet behind the ears. Oh, yeah. Uh, and everyone was so patient and wonderful, and I learned a ton. And, you know, I really do think, uh, you know, I, I, I think Rick, yeah, I just think Rick is better than Mike Royko and criminally underrated. Or not among the people that know him, but I, I think he's a, a living legend. And, oh, he is. Um, oh, my God, dude. He's, and he, he's just like totally has taken me under his wing and, he, so I started this podcast the the day I started producing him in the spring, and I was kind of like, he interviews his producer when he gets a new producer, you know, he's all excited. So I like was in here interview, being interviewed by Rick Kogan, you know, um, <laughs> terrified. And he was like, so what else do you want to do? Like, what, where do you want to go with this? And I was like, well, I just recorded my first episode of a podcast. <laughs> and he was like, great. I want to hear it on the show next week. Can you play it back for us? And I was like, oh, okay. So... Um, so he did, uh, the next week, sure enough, we played the first episode, which is just kind of like a audible, uh, you know, mission statement for what I wanted it to be. And then once I started, um, getting, you know, guests and stuff, we started having some of the guests that I got in here and yeah, it's, he's just great. I mean, he's, he's awesome. I saw him at, he did a performance, like a spoken word performance at the hideout on Tuesday. Um, did you ever go to the hideout? Awesome bar. Yeah. My, well, like one of my best friends from Joliet managed it for a little while. Oh, so cool. That time there. Oh, yeah. Um, so he did this whole, like, really cute, like, there's four guys or five guys on a couple on banjos. Um, and my, I go with my mom, and she's like, I used to take banjo lessons from that guy in the 80s, Michael Miles. Um, wow. I was like, whoa. Uh, and then Rick would, like, it was the theme of this week was um, the American car. So Rick, you know, he, he wrote all these really great poignant things and read them in his gravelly voice. And then he'd like, you know, do portions of like on the road, Jack Kerouac and, Oh, he's just, and then he bought my drinks all night. So <laughs> I was <laughs> loaded. <laughs> he's, he's a prince. Wow. He is. Like, yeah. Well, you're, all, you're very lucky. Yeah, right? I know. I the few months him. that I got to just hang out with him and watch him do his sure. thing. I learned a ton. I, I grew up watching image union. Oh my you know, God. Me too. Fucking love image union. Honestly, oh. I would count. I'd put Image Union up there in terms of like uh, visually what it did for me as a kid and, oh, and how it shaped. It was so like, beyond its time, you know. It, oh my god! Oh. And it, it wasn't. It wasn't necessarily like a comedic influence, but it, but it, it's hard for me to separate it from that because yeah. visually it was such an influence right. that when I when I write, I'm a very visual learner and performer, and when I think of ideas. They come to me visually, and then I, I kind of usually work from there. And imaging was just, like in sketch, like I would always think about imaging because I'm like, I want this to be as, like, kind of, it, it, it made me question so much. And it made, it, it always just, like, arrested my vision. and like, what am I watching? And then it made me think and, and react in, in ways that I didn't to other things. Oh, it's so, so cool. Good. Yeah. I mean, well, how, who was the little, like, cartoon that would start it off? Like, hi. I'm Bob. <laughs> I who, oh, who hosted that? Was that Will Klinger? No. Uh, 
Oh, Part of it? Um, Wolfinger did something. Yeah, you're right. Uh, well, I'll Google it. Yeah. God, well, and that's yeah, something that's, I'd like to rewatch is old Image Union stuff. Yeah, we used to right? so good. I mean, Image Union, before I ever knew what marijuana was, <laughs> I, like now in my head, I'm like, was I smoking at like 10 <laughs> years old? <laughs> oh, my God. Because it, it feels like... It, it looked like you're you're just like uh, tripping on something. Right. Oh, for sure. Um, Jeffrey Bayer was it? Jeffrey Bayer. Yeah. 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 Classic Chicago. I, like, uh, remember David Tells was it Insomniac or something mm-hmm. like that? Uh, that show. Yeah. I remember watching that and being like, "This is so derivative. Get out of here!" Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> Image Union just blew it away. Oh yeah. Counterculture and risk. Yeah, it was on for a while. Yeah, yeah. Those were the day. Like Chicago had so many cool shows like that. Yeah, they, that really made that was another. I mean, it's not an influence, and obviously now we're just bullshitting. But like right, it, it's, uh, it, it really did. Like local TV, like that, rarely has that in in era Edge, now where everything yeah. can be shifted online so right. much, and it can't. You can't show it once and have it disappear. Now nothing disappears, and mm-hmm. so. Everyone is all about their stupid fucking personal brand. Yeah. We didn't even talk about working with Mary Holland. Um, how, how was oh. that? Uh, lovely. Yeah. So, wonderful. Wonderful. She's so good. Um, Mary, Mary was the first person that I thought of for this because of how she plays, how she, I just emotionally, I was like, we're, we have to walk such a thin line with that character. Mm-hmm. You have to believe that she'll come into the garage for free therapy, you know, yeah. and, and that she has to be attracted to this dude. And that, so she has to want like some kind of altruism in a partner mm-hmm. that David has. And she has to have the forgiveness to um, like show him leniency when he, when he fucks up and when he approaches her in a very unprofessional way, you know, and then there has to be a chemistry between them because of that kind of innocence and altruism that, that allows the audience to apologize this unethical move. Right. And, and, and so we're, we're talking about that a lot in writer's room. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, it has to be her. In fact, I, and I would go through like the, the, list of female comedians and improvisers at every theater in Chicago, New York, LA. I mean, I went through every single one. Mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly don't think I, I left any stone unturned and I got really scared at a certain point. Cause I'm like, I think Mary Holland is the only person who can pull this off. Damn. And did. luckily, yeah. And luckily there was just a gap in her schedule and we got her and then she would come out and she would just be like, you know, so like, angelic and great she'd show up and just fill the room with this like un like fantastic energy and i mean from the first second we sat down and we were across from each other i was like this is this is this is huge this is one of the biggest gets yeah um they just made everything sing made everything uh work she's yeah she's she's great she is totally that's another dream guest. You're a dream guest of mine, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll put in a good word if you want. So right. Just texting with her the, uh, earlier today. Oh, cool. Awesome. Um, yeah. Wow. Well, this has been awesome. I want to just keep talking forever, uh, but I'm sure you've got <laughs> things to do. Um, coffee well, to drink. <laughs> um, yeah, I do. Thank you. But thank you. Thank you. Um, and I really appreciate you taking time out of your Sunday. 
Yeah, um, my pleasure. And seriously, be in touch if you're in Chicago, whatever, you know, if you want to come on Rick's show, any show, whatever fits in your schedule, we'll definitely find a place for you. Um, well, we'll do. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. And keep doing great stuff. I look forward to uh, all the big things coming your way. Well, I, I appreciate it. And um, I'll, I'll let you know what it is. So uh, if this comes on, <clears throat> if the news comes out soon, you can add an addendum to this or whatever. Tight. Awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. All right. Thank you very All much. Right. Thank you, Tim. This is really great. Um, thanks for joining me. And uh, this is Lisa FM. 